Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are zooming out to get a handle on what's really going on and what we're really dealing with. Sometimes the only way to shrink the challenge is to get a new perspective. Are you in the thick of it? You know, up close and maybe too personal to the problem? It's hard to be objective when you're staring into the eye of the giant. Back away a bit, gain some height, and a new vantage point. Okay, from here, what do you see? It may seem like a simple technique, but when you're slogging it out in life, it's hard to take the time or do the climb. But all the more reason. What's the alternative? Stay stuck, paralyzed by fear, unable to see your way out. Well, you could, but you would only last there for so long and oh, the damage you're doing to yourself in the meantime. Or you can take a big breath. Go on, take a big breath. Now, let it out real slow. Still with me? Then the ceiling wasn't falling as fast as you thought. Let's jockey for a new position, up high, where all those insurmountable problems shrink in size. Where we can pull in some peripheral contacts. Yep, he's a giant all right, but I got this. And I can now see with a couple of keen moves, this is all going to work out just right. So I'm gonna share some ideas. We'll listen to a few experts and attack this problem from multiple angles. Let's get started. Corin Miller shares 13 strategies therapists personally use to put things into perspective, found at wellandgood.com. In moments when you feel overwhelmed or stressed out, nothing else in life may seem to matter at all. And that's the case for all folks, regardless of age, background, or life experiences. What's key to coping, though, is being able to have perspective and know that even challenging moments will pass. Life can be challenging, and it's difficult to get perspective if you're caught up in it and overwhelmed, says counselor David Clough, the author of the book, You're Not Crazy, Letters from a Therapist. Here's the thing, though. You're not the only one who deals with overwhelming feelings that would benefit from a heady dose of perspective. Whether you're spiraling about a looming work deadline, stressing about relationship issues, letting a conversation with a friend peeve you to the point of no return, or worrying about a regrettable text you sent, plenty of other people have been there. Yep, even the mental health professionals who supply their patients with tools for coping with overwhelming worry. (laughs) So find out how they themselves put things in perspective. Number one, think beyond this moment. When you're overwhelmed, it can be hard to think about anything beyond the current moment, but it's still important to take a beat to try it. Doing so may just help put things in perspective. For instance, Dr. Jennifer Carter, a psychologist at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center, is overwhelmed. She considers advice her mom gave her during college swimming years. 
An upcoming race felt like life or death. My mother helped me one time by asking, will you even remember this race in one year? Number two, be aware that you actually have to change your perspective to feel better. Understanding the need to put things into perspective is one thing, but recognizing that doing so requires an actual mental shift is crucial. Slow down and become aware of your perspective or lens and actively decide to use a different one. This says Miami area psychologist, Dr. Erica Martinez. Seeing things from a different perspective helps people see situations and problem solve more effectively. For example, if you're worried about a looming work deadline, consider how an even-killed coworker might handle the stress. Then, try to approach the issue the same way. Number three, don't treat your inner monologue as fact. It's easy to create a narrative around what's going on, and that may or may not be based in fact. One way to find meaning is to create a narrative, says Dr. Carter. For example, if your partner isn't texting you back, you may create a story to explain why. One possible reason is because their partner doesn't care. What's key, though, is to be able to differentiate fact from conjecture when it comes to personal narrative. In order to achieve a balanced perspective and see things from beyond your limited point of view, Dr. Carter recommends trying to think of a different viewpoint, maybe like your partner is at work and doesn't have time to reply, or is on call or is wiped after a long day. With a more balanced perspective, she says, you'll likely feel less stress. Number four, name your emotions. When I have a panic moment, I always try to imagine pressing a pause button for just a second and naming the emotion I'm feeling, says psychiatrist Jeremy Tyler. It's powerful to be able to name the emotion that you're feeling in your mind. If you can name an emotion, like thinking I'm afraid or I'm worried, you can then take the moment to step further by identifying extra detail of your feelings, like I'm afraid I'm going to screw up. Once you can ID that emotion, you have an opportunity to try to think about that emotion. Number five, flip the script on the emotion you've named. Once you've named how you're feeling, Dr. Tyler recommends taking on the exact opposite perspective. If you're worried you'll fail at something, tell yourself that you're actually going to crush it. Tell yourself there's nothing to worry about, even if you don't believe it at all. This can really help. Number six, remind yourself that you've done this before. It's highly unlikely that this is your first time you've needed to put things in perspective, which is why clinical psychologist Dr. John Mayer, author of Family Fit, Find Your Balance in Life, recommends remembering that you've survived this kind of thing before. Thinking things like, I've accomplished this before, or I've coped with this before even if you're not in the exact same situation, gives you the comfort that there will be a tomorrow. Number seven, practice the five whys method. Dr. Martinez likes the five whys method, which asks five why questions to drill down on worries. For example, if you feel like you're irrationally angry at someone who cut you off in traffic, ask yourself these whys. 
Why am I angry or upset with them? Answer, they cut you off. Why might they have cut you off? Answer, they were rushing. Why do people tend to rush? Answer, poor planning, hurrying to get to a loved one at the hospital, needing to go to the bathroom, etc. Why am I angry if they're struggling with these situations? Answer, because it's rude and inconsiderate. Why do I perceive someone possibly experiencing such situations as rude or inconsiderate? Answer, I don't. Sometimes things come up and they mess with your schedule and you can't plan on someone being in the ER or needing to go to the bathroom. Basically, this process can help you turn around your thinking and potentially diffuse your emotions at the same time. Number eight, get up and move. Physically changing your environment can make a difference. With the shift in environment can come a change in mindset, says Dr. Martinez. Number nine, think about the best case scenario. It's easy to worry about the worst case scenario, which is why Dr. Tyler likes to try to think about the best case. Just thinking or saying it gives you a moment to see how that perspective feels. In the moment, if you have extreme negative thinking, Putting the positive out there at least lets you find the balance. Number 10, talk it out. The most powerful method of gaining perspective is to talk to someone about your concerns, whether that be with a family member, parent, or even a therapist. Even shooting off a quick text to a friend about what's stressing you out can help. Number 11, meditate regularly. Meditation is a time-tested practice for finding perspective and getting more in touch with what matters. It doesn't have to be a religious practice, but finding some time to meditate regularly can go a long way toward putting things in perspective. Number 12, be more creative on the side. Creativity can help you get used to changing your mindset, says Mary E. May, who prefers music and dance to decompress. She says they support my ability to refuel and calm my energy so that I'm able to prepare for whatever comes in the future. Number 13, try therapy. Therapists need their own therapy, Dr. Carter says. Not only is taking a turn on the other side of the sofa helpful to get perspective, But the experience of being a therapy client builds empathy for how uncomfortable it can feel to be vulnerable and ask for help. I know some of you are shaking your head saying, yep, that's me. You might even be saying, wow, I'm so glad this is the topic this week because this is exactly what I'm going through. Don't you just love when that happens? Raise your hand if you overreact. Yeah, yeah, I see you. Okay, let me put my hand down now too. Have you ever answered a trivia question on TV only to get the answer wrong because you didn't listen to the entire question? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, we're on to something here. Reacting before completely surveying the problem means you might be throwing an unnecessary or mistargeted fit. Immediately working yourself into a lather will not help ready your mind for problem solving. Even so, 
you're not alone. Sherry Hurd sheds some light on why making a mountain out of a molehill is a toxic habit and how to stop, found at learningmind.com. Was that criticism you received really that bad? Maybe you were just making a mountain out of a molehill. I remember hearing all those old sayings like, don't cry over spilled milk or don't be such a worrywart. Yeah, I heard so many of the statements that I thought everyone was always traumatized or something. One of the most common reprimands that I got from my parents was, stop making a mountain out of a molehill. This was usually because I was literally crying over spilled milk. Making a mountain out of a small problem is a toxic habit. It sometimes starts from childhood and continues throughout a person's life. It affects families, relationships, and jobs as well. You might say that sometimes letting a few things go is even better than worrying over something small. For some, exaggeration of this magnitude becomes a part of their normal human behavior. Not everyone creates a habit of making huge problems out of small ones. That's basically what the mountain molehill statement is all about. But there are certain types of people who do this quite a lot. There are also reasons why they do this. So listen up, and maybe you can avoid negative confrontations. Some of those people might be those who suffer from OCD. Obsessive compulsive disorder is a complicated and interesting disorder. It can be severe and sometimes just random. People who suffer from this illness can sometimes create huge problems out of little ones. This is obviously because those with OCD have to have things their way. They have to check and recheck things and so many other little compulsive actions. So it stands to reason that if something small is out of order in the life of obsessive compulsive, it could seem like a huge flaw. You better believe the chances of them making a mountain from a little hill will be good. Unfortunately, suffering from OCD can damage your life by stealing so much of your time. Instead of just letting a few things go, everything has to be just perfect. How about those that are competitive? Also in this category of making a mountain out of a molehill is the competitor. Competitive people strive so hard to win at everything that they always notice imperfections. They train hard, work hard, and even strive to cheat at times. What could only be a small event may turn into the most important competition in the mind of the obsessive athlete. And competitions aren't always about sports. Sometimes competitive people are enraged by the success of others, especially if they feel the success comes from their ideas or their notions. Remember, we've been on this earth far too long to have many total original ideas left. So why make a big idea over being someone else's inspiration? Just think about it that way. How about those with anxiety disorders and PTSD? If you suffer from an anxiety disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder, you may see small problems as big ones. No, you don't purposely try to make mountains out of small bumps, but your anxious mind keeps you in a state of worry. Unlike some with OCD, those with anxiety or PTSD aren't trying to be perfectionists. 
They see their problems attacking them at a more personal level. With PTSD, the startling realization of their worries can be extreme. How about those who are controlling? Okay, my hands back up. (laughs) Individuals who try to control others or other situations are prone to make mountains out of molehills. What does this mean? Everything must be under their control at all times. When they lose control, they can't function in a healthy manner. This sort of behavior is extremely toxic and can ruin many lives. One of the saddest parts of being a controlling person is that you're not always aware that you're using this behavior. Making things worse than they really are will only create more problems which will follow in that same pattern. This behavior can be toxic quick never allowing you to heal from some of your other issues. You will be afraid to pursue your dreams, afraid of relationships, and even afraid of every little thing that could happen in the future. So how do we move the mountain? In order to stop thinking in this manner, you'll have to associate with others who have more of a positive attitude about life. Positive people see problems as they really are. To them, problems can be calmly faced and corrected without panic. When you're alone, as soon as you start to inflate the problem, try to recognize what's happening. Is your problem really that bad? Will it matter in a day or two? If not, then this problem is nothing but a little mound of dirt and nothing like a full-grown mountain. So in order to change the way you think, you'll need a positive outlook and support. Sometimes the support will be the key to the positive outlook. In the worst case, professional help may be needed. If you're exaggerating your problems, you're not alone. Together, we can move this mountain and live a fulfilling life again. I've used this visual many times, but for anyone who missed it or needs a refresher, Let's imagine looking down at a mouse maze. Little room after little room, wall after wall. That little mouse feverishly searching for that cheese, making wrong turn after wrong turn. We're cheering him on and trying to direct. Go left. No, no. Other left. Now right. Walk straight ahead. Because from our vantage point, we can clearly see the right path to get there. Don't you wish you could have applied that same vantage point to certain times and seasons in your life? At that time, you were spinning in circles, but now, taking some time and, of course, a little hindsight, it's clear as day. By the way, a man at a recent talk I gave told me to keep going to the right and stay to the exterior walls. You'll find your way out. Good to know. Dr. Jennifer Kuntz gives us an alternative perspective with how to make a mountain out of a molehill, found at psychologytoday.com. Ever so often, we have an aha experience that makes you understand the meaning of a common saying. 
She says, I'll be working in session with a patient, just doing what I do, listening carefully to try and understand my patient's inner psychological world, and then trying to find a simple way to put that understanding into words. I'll search my mind for a vivid image, a catchy phrase, and a metaphor. Not only do I want to convey some understanding, but I want to get their attention. I want to engage them at a deep emotional level so that they will take stock and think and be impacted and maybe even take away a new idea. So the other day, she said, I was working with a patient and we were trying to understand why she had overreacted to something. To protect her confidentiality, I won't tell you the exact issue, but you can probably guess the general scenario. Someone takes your parking spot or cuts you off on the freeway. Someone criticizes you or doesn't follow through on a commitment that they made. Attendance at your event or views on a blog or tips at your table are down that day. These experiences would bother any of us. But for some of us, on some days, in some states of mind, we will be more bothered than others. We will be terribly hurt, angry, upset, or even enraged. In such states of mind, a minor injury is felt to be like a mortal wound. A difference of opinion is felt to be World War III. So my patient was struggling with her reaction in one of these scenarios and brought it to her session. In this particular case, she already had done some good work on herself. She knew she was overreacting, That made our work easier, for it wasn't a question of if she had overreacted, but why she was overreacting. And that is a great question for psychoanalysis. As I found myself putting some words to her question, there it was, the common phrase that I had never thought about from a psychoanalytic perspective. I said to her that what she was really wondering about was why she had made a mountain out of a molehill. That's a phrase most Americans will recognize, even though the image is so far removed from our everyday experience. We know mountains, yes, but molehills? Molehills are those pesky little mounds of dirt that moles and gophers leave behind as they make their way through our yards. I've seen a few molehills in real life, and I'm no stranger to the film Caddyshack. But it's not like molehills are everyday sightings in my life. So after the session was over, I got to think about that phrase. I wondered why it's endured and what it conveys about the dynamics of the human mind. How does a molehill become a mountain? Physically speaking, a molehill becomes a mountain when an animal takes dirt from somewhere and piles it up somewhere else. Psychologically speaking, if we think metaphorically, making a mountain out of a molehill essentially is a massive displacement of psychological dirt from one place to another. We unconsciously dig up dirty issues from one significant area of our lives, and we pile them on to something far more innocuous. I think this happens because it seems easier to pile a little bit of dirt somewhere else then deal with the psychological mountain itself, intimidating as it often is. We all have psychological dirt, mess, or trouble in our lives that feels so enormous that we can't deal with it directly. 
So bit by bit, we bury it in the unconscious. Call it suppression, repression, or denial, you get the idea. A psychological shovel is involved. I like to say that the unconscious is essentially a burial ground for unwanted parts of our lives. Experiences, feelings, thoughts, and impulses. In other words, the dirt of our lives. We bury those parts of ourselves and hope to be done with them. But it doesn't work. Those unwanted issues have a life of their own. They don't just die. So when we're tunneling our way through life, they inadvertently and inevitably get disturbed. As our saying of the day tells us, when they can't be dealt with directly, they get displaced somewhere else. We dump them into minor issues that unconsciously remind us of the deeper trouble. As a result, these minor issues are felt to be bigger than they really are. They have both the emotional intensity that actually belongs to them and the added intensity of those powerful, unwanted issues that we've buried beneath the surface. That's how a molehill becomes a mountain. The value of psychoanalysis is that it offers a map to help us navigate the mind's unconscious tunnels. It can provide an understanding of why we have overreacted helping us find our way back to the real source of the trouble. The insensitivity of a coworker or another driver might be linked to an early childhood of neglect or abuse. The criticism of a boss or a teacher might be linked to a harsh inner judge who demands absolute perfection. The waning applause might connect with a lack of support in one's current circumstances or more intimate family relations. If we study the monumentous molehills carefully, sometimes we can find where the dirt really comes from. Such insight can put things into better perspective, can help tell the difference between real molehills and real mountains. With such perspective, life becomes a lot easier to deal with, and ultimately, that's what psychoanalysis is all about. So many times we get rooted into one way of thinking. It started with things we heard and absorbed through our upbringing. And then we might have read or learned through experience as we made our way through life. At any rate, now we have this collection of understanding by which we benchmark everything and everyone. Without intending to, we limit ourselves from growth and altering that line of thinking possibly even avoiding new experiences that challenge our roots. For the first part of our lives, we're like a ball shot out of a cannon, barreling through life. At some point, we pull up on the throttle, understanding the importance of coasting and taking our time. No matter which season you're in, I encourage you to make time to open your mind to new ideas. You can do this through connections you seek out and invest in, conversations, sharing ideas, and learning from others. It could come from courses you research or books you read. Be curious and be in pursuit. Let's take a moment and listen to Jordan Peterson on keeping things in perspective in your life. The first thing a frame does for you is make almost everything irrelevant. And that's so great because that's what you want. You want almost everything to be irrelevant because otherwise 
you're going to be so flooded with information that you that's what hallucinogens do at least in their initial stages is they take away that filter and make everything relevant you can read about that in Huxley's Doors of Perception, he does a great job of describing the initial stages of a mescaline experience and what happens is that all of the memory, in some sense, that regulates his perceptions is stripped off and so he sees everything glowing and, and alive and magical like, like he'd never encountered it before which is exactly how you would see something if all your memory about it was gone and so he sees things as way more complex and interesting than he normally sees them well, that's fine, but you know, if you're like that all the time, then you know you end up in a ditch, starving to death or something. Like, you, it's not commensurate with normal life. That's what it looks like, and so your perceptions are just shrunk and restricted to the bare minimum necessary to keep you moving in the direction that you're moving. All right. So the first thing you want to do is you want to make things irrelevant. Now, if you're with someone in a relationship. Partly what you want them to do is to help you continue making most of their possibility irrelevant It's polite Because one of the things, you, so, so you say, well we have a friendship, let's say, we have a friendship, okay So that means you're going, you've agreed to act in a friendly manner towards me and to support me There's all sorts of other ways you could act Like a myriad of them And I'm going to do the same for you, so we're simpler to each other than we would normally be and then you go and do something that betrays me, it's like, bang, that whole simplification is gone and all those parts of you that were supposed to be irrelevant, because we were playing the same game they're dead relevant and I don't know who the hell you are and so that's really rough and people do not like that, it's this emergent mismatch between their desires and the way the world is manifesting itself so one of the issues of complexity is that when you hit an obstacle Everything that you have agreed with other people to make irrelevant is irrelevant and that's generally a disconcerting experience now you can, you know, you might want to toy a little bit with that in a relationship, you know, so maybe you encourage your partner to dress differently or you go do different things or something because you don't want to be stuck in exactly the same old rut and so what you'll agree is how you can both deviate an interesting amount but that's voluntary and controlled, it's not the same at all as having that little mess of 80 million snakes pop up right in front of you which is the last thing you want to have happen and so, it's so weird because one of the things that we're striving to do constantly is to keep most of the world irrelevant and our cultural systems are designed precisely for that purpose and part of what you do when you disrupt them is you force people to consider a far more range of relevance than they are even vaguely comfortable or vaguely competent to manage and it just burns them to a crisp because what your body does is if all of a sudden everything around you is relevant like I could say you're stripped naked, I take you in a helicopter, jump, drop you right into the middle of a jungle at midnight it's like you're not bored standing there frozen, paralyzed, everything is interesting well too bad for you because too interesting is very little different from terrifying and so, you know, your heart rate's going to be at 160 for like two days and then something will eat you and your problems will be over so, alright, so this diagram basically suggests this is this is how you break up the world when you're going from point A to point B you re it renders almost everything irrelevant, hooray and then what happens is the rest of the world is broken up into obstacles that get in your way and tools 
that facilitate your movement forward and that's actually what you see when you come into a place like when you come into this room these are obstacles insofar as you can't walk through them and those are tools insofar as you can sit on them and watch the class and this is a tool and these are tools and this is a tool and I'm a tool for, although I'd never admit it but anyways um, I'm a tool because you need to take this class in order to advance towards your, to your, towards your degree and so basically what you see in the world are entities of functional significance and those are not objects they are not the same thing so, and that's, that's very much worth considering because see, we're trying to build up a case, at least in part, for analyzing the nature of the structures within which you organize your perceptions and we tend to think that those are predicated on object perception it's not true it's not true they're predicated on relevance conception does it help you? does it get in your way? or is it irrelevant? that's what you want to know, if it helps you, you're happy about it if it gets in your way, you're, you're negatively predisposed towards it if it's irrelevant, it's invisible and so, if, you're, if your little scheme is functional, your little frame is functional then most of the things that you encounter are mildly positive and that's how you know that you know what you're doing that's how you validate the entire frame so, okay, good over at Intelligent Change, I found six ways to deal with daily challenges and obstacles because you know I like to leave with solutions. <laughs> what do you consider as your main daily challenges and obstacles? Think about it. Do you feel like you're faced with a myriad of energy draining, hard to resolve problems every day, or do you see yourself as a balanced surfer successfully riding the wave? For each of us, the terms challenge and obstacle mean different things. They can be related to any sphere of our lives, work, family life, relationships with others, self-care, and so on. Some of us tend to perceive these with ease, while others get stuck in draining negative thoughts. There's no universal step-by-step -step formula that will help resolve any kind of adversity you might find yourself in. But there is something much better you can do. Change your attitude and mindset and start looking at things from a more positive perspective. If you have clear plans and goals, obstacles and challenges become much easier to handle and they're no longer seen as chaotic and random. Having plans can help you find patterns in your life and perhaps discover that you're not standing in front of an artificial external obstacle, but in front of an inner barrier. This also allows us to gain information on what would be the optimal outcome of any goal and prevents us from getting lost in minor setbacks. You need to clearly define what's bothering you. If you feel like you're facing a challenge you need to overcome, the first step towards the resolution should be defining the problem. Thanks to the experimental works of German psychologists in the 20th century, like Carl Dunker, today we have detailed descriptions of the cognitive process necessary for efficient, real-world problem-solving. The most important step here is the representation or the definition of the problem. Whether you need to hear a detailed explanation of the problem from someone else or define it by yourself, it's always good to check in with someone other than yourself and gain insight on some of the following questions. What does the situation look like to them? 
Does your definition of the problem sound reasonable? Did you understand it properly? Bottling things up can sometimes make a much bigger mess than necessary. So writing things down or talking to others can help you regain clarity. You should take a gratitude approach, always. Taking a gratitude approach means not allowing yourself to fall into the trap of negative thinking. Sometimes when we face a challenge, we fall under the influence of negativity bias and forget that there's even another side of the coin. Practicing gratitude every day, at work, in your relationships, through meditation, or by keeping a gratitude journal can help you gain clarity and maintain a dual perspective in the event of a difficult situation. Each morning and each evening, take a few moments with a journal or just by yourself with positive thoughts from the day. That way, no matter how challenging your day was, you can allow yourself to acknowledge that it wasn't all bad. You'll also learn to cherish your challenges and obstacles as overcoming them makes you better and stronger. Very often, the only thing we lack to turn the obstacle into a valuable experience is knowing that we're not alone. Sometimes we retreat to our micro-universes and forget that regardless of what we're experiencing right now, Someone has been there before us. If you feel like you're stuck somewhere, it's more than okay to turn to your community for support. Friends, family, colleagues, partners. After all, you'd give them support if they were in your position, right? Adopt a growth mindset. The obstacle is the way. Guess what's the difference between people who get stressed out even over minor challenges or setbacks and those who flourish and become better people by overcoming them? You're right. Their mindset, of course. Adopting a growth mindset means having a positive perspective and following the idea of lifelong learning. Although the challenges life puts before us can sometimes seem insurmountable, it's usually just a matter of perspective. Believing that hard work can get you through anything and that your traits, abilities, and skills are forever changeable means deciding to believe that you're meant to grow throughout your entire life. Getting stuck inside an adverse situation or believing that you're simply not good enough to surpass the obstacle doesn't mean it's true. It only means you need to move from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset and use those obstacles to pave the way forward. Nurture a positive way of thinking. Positivity is not something you're born with. It's something you need to consciously acquire. Practicing gratitude and adopting a growth mindset is a sure way of becoming more positive, but you can always do more. Focus on your ideal self. Perhaps you're stuck right now. But what would your ideal self do in this situation? Can you remember the last time when you were the best possible version of yourself? What's the difference between that you and this you? Is there something you can retrieve from that experience and use now to inspire yourself to move forward? Challenges and obstacles are a normal part of our lives, and we should embrace them as valuable lessons and learning resources. Yet, we often forget to do this and end up being all stressed out and unsatisfied with life. 
That's why I'm here to remind you that in every yin, there's a yang, and vice versa. share encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, take the time to seek a new perspective, whether changing your vantage point or opening your mind to new ideas. You can shrink your challenges when you gain a new outlook. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone through until the path was clear. That's when I found you. How I wound up here.